Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is pod.com We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them We talking about life and life to stream right to you From the microphone right to your home, dude Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no don't sweat yo, cause there it is Welcome to the There It Is Podcast, a comedy podcast to help you find your inspiration. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Thanks so much for listening. We have a really great episode today. It's with a really good friend of ours, a stand-up comedian here in New York, Luke Thayer. We have a really great chat. But first, some fun news for the podcast and for me. I am going to be performing this Saturday in the Still Stacks Comedy Festival with my Magnet House team, Glitter. That's this Saturday at 6 p.m., so come check that out. If you are in the Bethlehem, Pennsylvania area, we have links in the description for you to get tickets. Another fun little tidbit right after Glitter's set is a duo out of Atlanta called Mom and Dad and the Dad of that duo is previous guest friend of the show. Hannah Ray is Leeson. Very excited about this. If you're a big fan of the podcast and you love that episode of the podcast as much as I do, then it's a pretty big deal to have this one, two punch in the still sacks comedy festival. So come check that hour out. This is a good hour for a, there it is podcast fan. Cause you'll get to see me and Hannah Ray is Leeson. Very funny duo, so definitely, if you're in that area, please come check us out. Well, on to today's episode, as I mentioned, it's with Luke Thayer, and this conversation starts off by referencing his wife, who was previously on the podcast, Abby Crutchfield, and we, in the episode with Abby, talked about how they ended up moving here from Indiana. You might want to check that episode out if you haven't already. It's kind of a prequel to this episode. But this is still a fun chat, even if you haven't listened to that episode. Let's just get right to it. Here's my chat with Luke Thayer. I actually know a lot of your story just because your wife, Abby, was previously on the podcast. Yes, she was. <laughs> a few years ago, actually, before we moved in this building. Really? Before the I That's a, quite a few years ago. You guys have been here for a while. Well, yeah, it's kind of wild. I don't know if I mentioned it in the episode with her. But I followed her like back in MySpace days <laughs> on there because she, I just was following yeah. a bunch of comedians. I think we just aged all of us, all yeah, three of us. Sure, yeah. <laughs> well, we were all in high school yeah. <laughs> doing comedy. <laughs> I was working in radio. But I was following a bunch of comedians on, on there and I ended up finding her and thought she was funny. And that translated into following on Facebook. And then just one day at a train station, I bumped into her. Just so happens that I had just emailed her about being on the podcast. I was like, oh, hey, I just emailed you. <laughs> and then we ended up setting it up. Stalker. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's how I get all of my guests. <laughs> but having her on, I heard the story of you guys being in Indiana, and that's where you met, and that's where you started doing comedy. And great. then you moved out here. I don't remember, though, how long were you in Indiana doing comedy? I only did comedy in Indiana for maybe just over a year. Oh, okay. So it was really new. And like, you know, I don't know. You, your listeners are going to be a mixture of people, of the people who have seen The Wizard Behind the Curtain and some people that have not. 
in a year is nothing. Nothing. It is absolutely nothing <laughs> in comedy. Whereas like people who aren't in comedy listening would be like, oh, a year. Oh, wow. Yeah. Good for you. But really, I mean, I, I heard that my first couple of years in comedy, someone was like, it doesn't start counting until you're like year six or something. <laughs> yeah. And that's like really before like year six would be like, oh, you could be on a lineup with mm-hmm. other people that call themselves comedians. Right. Not necessarily even getting paid. <laughs> right. Just being on a lineup. It would be something like really a decade in people are still referring to you as a new comic. Yeah. And that's not unusual. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you don't start in New York mm-hmm. or someplace like that. If you're a decade anywhere else, it, it doesn't doesn't necessarily, I mean, not anywhere else. If you're in Chicago and Boston, places like that, if you're there for a decade, that's pretty solid. But yeah, like South Carolina was there for many years and doing comedy almost 10 years before moving here. And it is sort of like, yeah, yeah, you don't have your feet under you. You don't know what it's like. For sure. <laughs> trying to hop to different <laughs> rooms in one night. What was the transition for you? Like what when you moved here, what was the first or the first few things that you noticed was super different? Well, New York City in general is just fast. Yeah. You know, people say it's fast paced, but it's just like everything's fast. I hear about quarterbacks when they first go to the NFL, like or, or when they go to any level. It's like mm-hmm. they start out in that Pop Warner. And then they go to high school. Everything seems like it's moving so fast. And then they get used to it and everything slows down. Then they go to college (laughs) and it speeds up again, hit the pros. And years into the pros, everything slows down. They've really hit their Mm -hmm. stride with where they know everything that's going on. Mm -hmm. That's what New York is, Mm. is you move here and everything seems like it's just moving so fast because you don't have any point of reference. <laughs> I, re- I remember still having my suitcase. I ca- got off the plane with my two suitcases and going down the subway stairs. And I, I think that I just gotten off like the air train coming from LaGuardia uh-huh. and going down the stairs looking for the A train probably. And just everybody seemed like they were just running past me. I didn't know where to go. I'm looking for signs. It probably looked like a country bumpkin. <laughs> if it was like a Mel Brooks movie, you just cut to some hayseed with a piece of straw out of his mouth. And that was, that was my first six months just felt like everything was zooming by. Yeah. And so comedy is part of that too, where it's like, Oh, going to a club for the first time and then mm-hmm. meeting another comic within like a first couple weeks of being in New York City, there was this manager that was taking me Abby around and we went and saw Charlie Murphy at Caroline's <laughs> and he took us backstage and oh, introduced wow. us. So there's still a picture somewhere of me with this long hair <laughs> standing next to Charlie Murphy. And so all of that's, that's rushing at you too. Things uh-huh. that I had not seen anywhere in real life, but I am now, but television, right. I am now seen in real life. And so that happened. My very first time ever performing in New York City, I, I bombed at some show. And as I was about to leave the room, Todd Lynn was there. And Todd Lynn was a comic who had just done Letterman. Mm-hmm. maybe a month before I moved to New York City, and here he is in the room with me. Right. And I took a picture with him. Of course, five years later, when I was actually starting to get a little bit better at stand-up comedy, 
he saw me at the show and he goes, you're the dude that bombed at that show. <laughs> I'm like, how do you remember that? <laughs> so I've seen people bomb. Like what? <laughs> I know. It's like, well, you know, Todd's passed away now, but he had a reputation for being that guy. The guy that always had a little bit of, you know, bitter to him. And so just keeping that little pettiness is not out of character, apparently, for him. I didn't know him well enough to say one way or another. That's just the stories I have heard. Uh He was incredibly funny, though. Uh And so I've I've got a picture of him somewhere with me. (laughs) Long hair. Long hair. Yes. (laughs) So that's the, that's the big transition to New York at the beginning. Yeah. Now I'm at a place where, you know, I've done so many shows and been around celebrities, whether it's at a party or whether it's at a comedy club or whatever, that it doesn't mean what it would have meant at one point. Mm-hmm. And I know for me, it was years ago, I made a conscious decision that I was not going to allow anybody else to treat me as lesser in this business. And so if I met a celebrity or anything, I never fawn over them. Mm -hmm. I treat them like a human being. Yeah. And some like that and some don't. Oh yeah. Well, I can imagine someone who's like super famous and really used to that. I could see someone who their ego wouldn't allow them to (laughs) be treated normal, but I actually have the same attitude just it's most people will be more comfortable if you just treat them like they're humans mm-hmm. like I, we, we went to some show at comedy cellar and judah friedlander came walking out a door that you had to walk if you're going to be an audience member you had to walk down these stairs mm-hmm. and he came out the the performer door which is right there and i just extremely casually just said like oh hey judah what's up man mm-hmm. and he was like hey what's up man not much and then he just walked away Justina didn't know who he was because she had not seen any of his work. She hadn't seen 30 Rock. And uh, she was like, oh, who is that? I was like, oh, it's Judah Friedlander. It's like, who, who's he? He's always oh, a comedian. And it wasn't until later where she like probably saw his picture on the wall or something like that. It was like, oh, he's like a guy. I thought he was a friend of yours because <laughs> yeah. you were so casual with him. Yeah. But I prefer that. <laughs> I don't want to. You know, someone walks out of a door and the first thing someone gets, oh, my God, yeah, it's you. That would be uncomfortable for yes. that person, I imagine. But I, I guess I you're having so. some experiences with some people were like, why are you not groveling at my feet? Yes. I, I know when I have, you know, people groveling at my feet, it's really <laughs> uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> when, when I very first visited New York to look for a sublet before I moved here, I walked by the comedy cellar and really kind of by accident i was just in the village and then i didn't realize that's where the comedy cellar was i didn't know it. Oh, okay so i walked by and i'm like oh this is the comedy cellar because before i moved to new york i watched comedian the documentary mm-hmm. uh once mm-hmm. a week oh wow for an entire year yeah so i knew of the place and david tell walks out oh wow. and this is you know david tell for comedians mm-hmm. is the guy yeah and even at that time he was coming off of insomniac and so he was kind of a known for that. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. for Comedy Central. And so I saw him walk out and he goes to the street, starts smoking a cigarette and some frat boy type of guy came out and he slapped him on the back and goes, hey, Dave, awesome, David, you are so funny or whatever. And Dave, with a cigarette, 
you know, between his fingers, kind of just looks over his shoulder like a troll. I'm like, ah. And that, <laughs> and the guy's like, oh, I walked away. He didn't understand it, but it is funny to see the different personalities of who <laughs> wants interaction and how they want interaction. <laughs> what was the experience? You don't have to name any names, but what was the experience of someone not? liking that you were just treating them human like could you explain what you meant by that there's a coldness that can kind of kind of happen where if i'm just talking to somebody there is one person in particular who i'm thinking of where i was like oh hey and instead of saying i like you in this movie in this television show and all of this mm -hmm. i was like you know what years ago i saw you on premium blend and really like that set from this thing. They're like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And they're used to not a deep cut. They're used to, uh, you know, you are just amazing in this movie. Right. And they, and then I was like, hey, you know, I'm comic two, and we we're talking for a second. And they just, in the middle of the conversation, walked away. Oh, and gross. Yeah, it, it was in, it's in LA. It was at a party, you know, a network party. Mm -hmm. And... That's you will notice that as a lay person or maybe even somebody who's been in the business a long time at these parties, you'll see somebody looking over your shoulder the entire time you're talking because they're looking to see who's Ooh, coming uh, in the room. That's such a I, that's something I, I feel like a lot of people have heard about L.A. because mm -hmm. it's such an industry town. And like, how can I use this person? Uh, you know, it's all like, let me get ahead in this business at every moment mm -hmm. based on who I know and who I, I've heard that about some one person who's done quite well for himself when a friend of mine who was in stand-up out there said he was he didn't give her the time of day until she he saw her hanging out with like Fred Armisen yeah <laughs> you know and then suddenly it was like oh okay you know I'll I'll pay her attention yeah that happens that happens and you know I it's interesting because you'll hear stories about people like Bill Clinton, uh -huh. who people who talk about him, regardless of their politics, they'll say when they have met him, that he makes you feel like you're the only person, in only the person. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, there's, there are people who are like that, mm -hmm. who managed to get very far in their industry. I've heard Tom Cruise is kind of like that. I can say he's an intense guy. Yeah, I heard John Hamm recently told a story on, I believe it was a recent story, on Howard Stern about being at some random Jimmy Kimmel Super Bowl party and Tom Cruise showed up. Yeah. <laughs> and how, like, Tom Cruise did with him. It wasn't, I guess, a deep cut because it wasn't his biggest thing, but he was like, Mad Men, you're so good. And like, he was fawning over he said, John Hamm. You were great. In Top Gun Maverick. Oh, I just really loved what you did. <laughs> well, it was years before yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> but like, he was like fawning over, it was like biggest star in the world fawning over John Hamm. Yeah. You know, like for John Hamm, he was like, what? What's happening here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I don't know if that's calculated or not. I don't know if a Bill Clinton or Tom Cruise is calculating in that way, if that's just their personality. But that's a pretty, that's a, not a lot of people have that gear. Yes. Or that ability to be that, you know, that way. I mean, I, I don't, I kind of don't mind it if it is calculating because at, at least, at least that story with John Hamm, that's being nice, you know, like I'd rather someone be calculated about being nice to people than calculated about manipulating or something. Yeah. But like, it's, 
I I do think there's there are people who could probably do a better job of thinking about how they treat us. Well, there's a one or two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's really difficult for me to think of names. Anymore. Yeah. <laughs> well, for sure, there's love, oh, man. There is so much of that in this business where you just go, man, they do not know how to treat people. And somebody gets something yeah. that only magnifies those personality traits. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, being around, because you've been in New York at this point, how many years? I moved here in 2005. Yeah, so like being here that that amount of time, I'm sure you've seen a lot of people climb up the ladder and totally change. Yes, you know, there are certain people who have, when I first met them, they didn't have much, and then they started getting a lot. There's, there's a couple people in particular where I'm like, they were a little bit ahead of me mm-hmm. in terms of comedy, like they've been doing it longer and nice and friendly and then they started getting things and this is can be a common trait Mm -hmm. that when people first start getting things they become very cautious Mm. about who's being nice to them what do people want from them yeah so they start to become a little closed off and guarded and that can come across as they're being a jerk for sure, yeah, and they're, and they're not necessarily; they're just protecting themselves. Yeah, or and it, it's understandable that they would need to protect themselves because there are people who who are out there who say like, "Oh, this person's status is wrong. I'm going to use them now." You know, For sure. But at the same time, if you're on the receiving end of that when you're not trying to use somebody, it's going to feel real crappy. Yes, and something I have learned just being around a few celebrities, mm-hmm. I'm friendly with some is that I try to show that within every interaction, I'm not asking for anything. Yeah. Other than we're being friends or whatever. How do you do that without blatantly just saying, oh, I'm not asking for anything? You don't ask for that, uh-huh. you know, because... And they just figure it out. Like, it's yeah. Not, it's not that, okay. You know, you have what, a couple dozen interactions with somebody and mm-hmm. they haven't asked you for... Hey, could you bring me on the road? Or, Mm -hmm, hey, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. could you help me get this thing? Or, hey, could you help me get that thing? It's like, I'm around and you wait for them to suggest something. If if they want to, if they don't want to, that's fine, you know? Yeah. Now, that may not be the best way to get ahead in the business. Like, maybe you should be asking for things. Uh But I'm from Indiana and that's a very difficult thing. I'm from South Carolina. It's very difficult to think of it that way. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I have a hard time. Like, even just asking certain people to be in the podcast, you know, like, I'm like, I don't want to, like, they just, like, there's someone who just started following me on Instagram, who's someone I've been, done a deep dive into their work the last few months, and I want to ask them on the podcast, but I, I'm like, they, we, we messaged, and I, like, I don't want to ask, because then I wanted to, I don't want the, like, second thing I say to them to be, Hey, I have a podcast. Why don't you come on? You know, like I try to be real careful about that, but you know, sometimes you got to get guests. You got to. <laughs> that's true. Sometimes it's how you approach it too. And true. so, you know, and that's the thing, even being a guest on the podcast, I don't think is a big ask. I think, mm-hmm. you know, if you, if you were a letterman and you were asking somebody <laughs> on the late show, 
Right. I don't think that would be <laughs> annoying. Yeah. Annoying. I think they'd be like, oh, of course, you know, it's, yeah, it's even mutually, the president of the United States is going on. <laughs> yeah. It's mutually beneficial. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's what being on other people's podcasts is, at least for me, it's mutually beneficial. You know, I promote my for stuff, sure. you know, I come on and be a guest and give you some content, mm-hmm. that kind mm-hmm. of yeah, I've been lucky with, with a lot of the guests I've had. I would just, I just asked, and and people were like, "Yeah, sure." And I'm yeah. like, I don't know why they said yes, but I'll have them on. Like, yeah. I still can't believe Joe Firestone. It's like, I'm like, all right, he's the nicest. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> the thing. It's like you know, I've I've come up with people where you could throw out names and be like, I can't believe this person is on this thing. It's like, man, I've seen that person in small rooms years ago like we were all in the same place you know there's a mm-hmm. guy in particular i could think of who's fairly big now and i saw him bomb in the back of a bar multiple times you know and he saw me do well and not do well we saw each other do well not do well mm-hmm. and so it's when you that's the thing about being in new york that's part of what yeah. has caused me to not have a reverence for entertainers or celebrities you see them so much and you see uh, you see what you don't see on television yes <laughs> you're and behind the veil it's, yeah it's not some glossy version of a person mm-hmm. that i saw through a tube mm-hmm. it's tube how old am i <laughs> through, a, through a pixel well then but that's actually you know going back to you watching comedian every week for a year that's one of the things you see in that is seinfeld bomb mm-hmm. and there was some interview where someone asked him if that was like awkward or is it like is it cringy and he's like no that's just the job yeah and i've heard chris rock say like you're never going to get away from bombing because you're always going to be trying new stuff and that new stuff isn't always going to kill very much so in fact the funny thing you know two things one was talking about comedian for a second there's on the dvd which you can't, it's not just streaming. You have to have the actual yeah, the commentary, the commentary, which is great. I've listened to that. It is amazing. I've, I've heard that half the time of all the times I watched me yeah. and watching it with Jerry and Colin Quinn and they bring up the bombing thing. And Jerry says, you know, people say I was bombing here, but I didn't feel like I was bombing. And Colin Quinn goes, oh, you were bombing. <laughs> and I just love that. <laughs> irreverence towards Seinfeld of like, we're friends here uh-huh. and I can tell you to your face that was bombing. Let's not <laughs> pretend it wasn't bombing. <laughs> you know, seeing stuff like that is really cool. Also just, you know, I'll, I'll be performing at the comedy cellar and, and you're just around some celebrity comics uh-huh. there. And I won't name the name, but I saw somebody who you can't get bigger than this guy. Okay. Like in the world of stand-up comedy, in the world of entertainment, this dude is an A-lister comedian. Okay. And I saw him going and I watched part of his set and he was doing some things that were a little hacky. Hmm. And this guy is not known for hacky at all. He's trying out some new stuff. He was doing, you know, a bit on, you know, I can't even exactly remember what it was, but. It's the equivalent of like airplane oh, okay. food or seats only moving back. It, it, but it wasn't that. It was more of like relationship. Uh-huh. It's a really good feeling because <laughs> to watch somebody who is revered as a genius uh-huh. and you go, no, it's the, for us, it's the same for everybody. Yeah. He goes up there, he fiddles around, he says, you know, a hacky line and it gets him to something else. Uh-huh. And gets the crowd going. Gets the crowd going. <laughs> yeah. 
it's something that probably won't make its way to the special. Right. But he he at least that's where he starts. With mm-hmm. And maybe it will be in the special. If it is, I will. Probably, maybe it'll be more honed by maybe, the time we well, get there. Certainly the whole bit will have to. Yeah. Well, I've heard Anthony Jeselnik talk about Seinfeld. He saw Seinfeld in one place, and it was almost like, not like an alternative set or something like that, but it was just all this stuff that felt really new and fresh and just killer. And then he saw him somewhere else and got mad because he thought it was all easy stuff. You know? yeah. But, like, the crowd was dying. Like, they were, they were super into it. And, you know, of course the reason is you play to the people who were there. If yeah. it's a crowd that is a bunch of tourists, well, these kind of jokes that maybe are a little more hackier, that's what's going to kill. <laughs> and I got to kill. I can't do the sort of material that would play with a room of comics to this touristy crowd. But the reason I bring it up is that having that gear seems like a level of mastery, too. I'm saying I've got so much material and I know what's going to work for the room I'm in. And that, that's like super tough. Dude, you mentioned Dave Patel, and I heard like he kind of went through that of like being really big in the alternative New York comedy scene, but then moving on and trying to just like kill in clubs, which is a different gear. And obviously achieved that because, as you mentioned earlier, he's kind of like the comics comic. Yeah. So, what of that sort of thing do you think? Is maybe a part of that story, or do you think that person was just trying to find a way to get into their new material that was going to be successful? Well, you know, I'm sure we could dissect it more. I, I think we probably would need some insight to that person mm. to know exactly what they were thinking. Yeah. But I think it was probably a way to get into something. But also, I think that. That's the nature of comedy in of itself. Is right. That no matter how interesting and unique and clever and outside the box and fresh you think you are, <laughs> everything has been done. Been done. <laughs> you know, yeah. even like some alternative comics, you know, I'm again, I don't want to mention names because I think it draws too much attention to what might seem like a negative mm-hmm. comment. It's, but I've been, I, you know, I've, Grew up in the alternative rooms mm-hmm. and there's comics there where they got praised for being so unique and different. And if you go back and you watch some comedy from the eighties, you'll see somebody that's just as weird, <laughs> just as different, just as unique, uh-huh. which is an oxymoron in of itself to say right. just as unique <laughs> yeah so it's it's something that might not be common mm-hmm. but to say that it's never been been done before is very difficult there are certainly people that surprise me with their material Patton oswald is a guy like that mm-hmm. where it's like pretty much surprises me with whatever direction he goes or punch lines uh-huh. and i've seen everything that he has done and that's not true of everybody. I, I mm. There's something I refer to as comedian fatigue, where, and this is from an audience member's point of view, okay. where you can see a comedian so much and be so familiar with their material and their style that they become less funny to you. Oh, that's, that's, yeah. This it becomes is, the norm. 
Yes, yeah. you know where it's going, even if you've never heard the joke before, because you're just so in tune with their wavelength. Right. And it takes out, it, it, they're not unfunny to you. Right. They just are a little less funny than they used you're to. You're not be. laughing as much as you used to when you yes. saw them perform. Yeah. And this is, the, I mean, if you talk to me long enough, I've got all of these theories about comedy. I, and so one of those is the comedy fatigue. And so it's, it takes out just an one essential element to comedy is surprise. Uh -huh. And so if you take out just a little bit of right, that surprise, yeah. even if you're surprised on some level, but you're not completely surprised, mm -hmm. you're like, oh, I didn't know he was going to say that. But, but I could see how he got there yes. based on what I already know. Yeah, about. I'm not shocked yeah. that that's where he got. Right, exactly. Know? Yeah. And there's plenty of those comics. And it doesn't, these are some of my all time favorite comedians. Sure, yeah. Where after a while, I'm like, at five, six albums into it or specials, I now kind of get it. Yeah. Yeah. Pan Oswald, though, however, is one of those it's, where oh gosh, I don't yeah. ever seem to lose that surprise with him. I have seen Gary Goldman here a ton of times, like like so many times. And there are a couple of bits that he's done every time I saw him and then a couple of times I saw him on television and I laughed every time, even though I knew it. And it's something about him that yeah. just gets me to laugh every single time, even though I know it and there is no surprise. But he's kind of an anomaly with that. Like, I don't know if there's any other comic that if I saw them that much, I would still be laughing at that joke. Yeah, you know, I'm now forming a new, new uh, hypothesis to go into my book of theories. And so now I have a new hypothesis about that, is that seeing a comedian's joke that you have heard before from a comedian that you love, but the same joke, not a new joke, but the same joke, uh -huh. can how it's like a sensory memory. Oh, and yeah, so yeah. Like, they oh. brought you so much joy the first time. You're now reconnecting uh -huh. with that same joy yeah. from the first time of hearing it. Yeah. Or even just his, like with him, he's got that joy bringing thing kind of innately. Yeah. So you're just always, like, <laughs> always digging what he's doing. Yeah. I don't know. He's just great. I just, I'm always thrilled to see him when he's on a, on a set. <laughs> yeah. Gary Goldman's an interesting one for me because. When I, my first year in the comedy back in Indiana, he was on Last Comic Standard. Yeah. And that's how I was introduced Same. to him. And so over the years, you know, I saw him on Tourgasm with Dan Cook. I mm -hmm. saw him in his own specials. And now after, you know, it's been a few years now that I've been, had the opportunity to do this, but I've worked with him multiple times, gotten to know him. Mm -hmm. And he's a very kind and generous man mm -hmm. in person and so generous with his time generous with laughs and that's that's something that being in the business of comedy and somebody who's passionate and loves comedy and comedians is a joy that you can get that you wouldn't get just as an audience member yeah. you become peers you become colleagues mm -hmm. and you become friends through that oh that's cool that's cool. That's it's always nice to hear those stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he, that's the thing. It's like he's one where it's like there's no negative. Like he was looking over my shoulder. When right, right. Yeah, genuine conversations and hang out and talk and those type of things. Where 
not everyone is going to be as generous no. with their time. Yeah, even kind people are not going to be as generous with yeah. their time as Gary Goldman. Sounds like yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's a real gem, and of course, like I'm sure people are like, well, I wonder who he wasn't named. Who are those comics he wasn't naming? But like, that's not what we do here in this podcast. Yeah, yeah. Okay, go, go hang out at some of these places. You'll, You'll find figure out it out pretty quickly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There was somebody that I felt I've just heard before that when anybody gets famous, they go through a period of just being a complete jerk, and maybe they get out of it, maybe they don't. But there was someone who was actually talking about, oddly enough, Bill Murray, who's recently had a lot of bad press because of the way he was treating people on set. But this person was saying, I've seen Bill Murray be a real jerk, but never to fans. He's always like such a peach with fans. We'll do bits with them. Could be anybody. But there are people that I've even interacted with. Someone who was a starting out as a comic on MySpace that I followed and we would talk all the time and we're like all the time we would chat to the point where they got big and then it's like they just delete me off Facebook they don't speak to me they don't acknowledge me anymore and it's like oh this, this is happy is... <laughs> <laughs> definitely not definitely not back from the ice, <laughs> MySpace days <laughs> yeah but it is that like oh this is what they meant when they said don't forget the little people because I was a supporter early before they had supporters. And now I'm like nothing to them, which is fine. I don't care. It's like, if you're going to be that arrogant, and I no skin off my back, probably lucky to not be in the fray. But I've seen that person interact in public. And I, and I say, I can see the sort of like, oh, the, they're just all business ego now. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of sad. Like, I wouldn't want that. I want the success. But I, don't, I wouldn't want the, like, I would feel really isolated if I looked at everybody as who's someone that can get me up the ladder or who do I need to avoid because they just want something from me. If you're always like that, you don't ever have any camaraderie like Gary Goldman has. I would be super sad all the time. For sure. Yeah. And, and that can change in people, too. Yeah. And sometimes you're people catching. Are growing, people are changing. Yeah. You're catching people sometimes on a bad day. Yeah. I remember, you know, when I first started out in comedy, I worked at a comedy club in Indianapolis as an usher because mm -hmm. I just wanted to see how I would be around it. They let me perform mm -hmm. on open mics all the time and occasionally do a guest spot here and there or mm -hmm. host on a Sunday. And so there was this big name comic that came in. Mm -hmm. And it, this one I don't feel bad about saying. His name was Kevin Pollack. And yeah. he just stayed in the green room. Nobody was allowed in the green room. Hmm. And not even the other comics that were on the show, like the feature in the MC. If I was bringing him some, like a drink or something like that as an usher, had to knock on the door and you know pass it to somebody else that would take it to him. And some of the staff were like, "Man, this guy's being a jerk." He comes around the following six months or whatever the was that completely he came around again. Story. A completely different story. And he was like, "Oh, I was so sick." the last time I was here. Oh. And so he just didn't want anybody else to, to get, sick. get sick. So nobody was allowed in the green room because he was sick. And that he probably told someone that and that didn't get it didn't get transferred. Yeah. Right. And that's and that sometimes can happen too. Is, For sure. Is that people rely on someone else mm -hmm. to transfer the information <laughs> to others. But it's the telephone game and yeah. someone leaves that out. And sometimes people leave it out on purpose. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know, but, you know, and in 
some instances, somebody can be like, now I become the gatekeeper. I get a little bit of power and they go, I'm not going to tell him they're sick. He's just, he doesn't need, want to see anybody right now. He only wants to talk to me. Mm -hmm. So if you need to send a message to him, talk to me. And he doesn't know that. He doesn't <laughs> He doesn't so, have a clue that they're saying that stuff. Yeah. You know, it's when you when you mentioned him, I was like, oh, I'd always heard good things about him. So when you finished the story, like, okay, yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. jibes with what I've heard. Yeah, and that's why I don't <laughs> feel bad saying the story. Right. Because clearly it was something that was not how it appeared to be. And sometimes sure. Joe is a, well, not sometimes. All of show business is usually, it's not what it appears to be. Right? <laughs> yeah. Whether it's good or bad. Yeah. It's not yeah. There are people that, who are definitely seen as pariahs or jerks. And then like you hear people talk about them and it's like, oh, they sound like a lovely person. Yes. <laughs> like people who know them talk about them this way. People who, who are not like other famous people, but just like other people who worked with them. You're like, oh, they're fantastic. They were the best boss I ever had. But yet the public image is that they're a pariah or something yeah. like that. It's it's interesting. That's why they say, like, don't believe everything you read on the Internet. Yeah, which is why you still believe Cosby, which is weird. I don't <laughs> I look. <laughs> stop looking at my poster of Bill Cosby. This <laughs> no, I don't have a poster of Bill Cosby. You know, right before all that stuff happened, I had been saying for like a year, I really need to watch Bill Cosby himself again. And yeah. then I heard all that stuff. And I was like, oh, geez, I'm never watching Bill Cosby himself again. Now you can't. So, yeah, it's. It, it, I think it would change a few of the best. Yeah, right, for sure. Gosh, man. Talk about losing your hero. Yeah, I mean, I guess you've experienced that sort of thing, too, where someone who you regarded really highly and then you interacted with them, it totally shattered the glass for you. Sure, yeah. I'm trying to think, you know, just offhand, somebody that I actually met that I really liked ahead of time and they didn't live up to that. It's not a long list mm -hmm. because there's there's some folks where there's there's one guy in particular who's one of my favorite all time, and occasionally I will see him pop into a same club as me, but I've never had an actual interaction with him, mm -hmm. and I don't want to, like <laughs> I don't because he's a little bit cold. He's very famous, so he doesn't come over and talk to the other comics mm -hmm. or commiserate much that I have been a part of. Now, he might do it all the time, mm -hmm. but I don't see it much. Uh -huh. And so those are the type where I'm like, I'd rather just <laughs> keep them. Keep them like, <laughs> yeah. now, if he came up to me and wanted to talk or if I was introduced through some mutual comedian friends, great. But otherwise, I don't need to have that spoiled <laughs> yeah I like, I, i'd rather just have <laughs> my memories of this person mm -hmm. be what i've enjoyed of their work yeah i get that and like there's some people who are just I mean, especially in comedy some really peculiar people and uh, some <laughs> i have yet again a couple yeah. you know, one or two and also aside from the, that like people just some are just introverts and like yeah. really don't it takes so much energy out of them to have it one-on-one -on -one interactions. And they're also trying to get ready for a show. Yeah. A one hour show at that. I got, like I've heard somebody, Jerry Seinfeld was doing a show in Spartanburg and I didn't get to go to it, unfortunately, but someone who worked there was saying, they were like, Oh yeah, let me show you the space. And they showed him the stage and he was kind of like, okay. And then you just like went back to his, 
green room to like prepare for the, mm-hmm. for the night. And they didn't take that well. They thought it was kind of strange that he wasn't like, oh my God, the sage. And I thought he's seen a million mm-hmm. sages. None of them are going to wow him. Why would you expect anything? Why would you expect any kind of reaction from him from that? Mm-hmm. And also hearing how his mind works with doing a show, like he just sounds like one of the people who's up there doing hard work as opposed to it's like this super fun thing that I get to do. Like he he doesn't look at it that way. It seems like it's a tiring experience for him. Yes. And gearing up for that one hour set is probably not him like not the best time <laughs> to interact with him. Yeah, I imagine that you don't want to to be part of that process the way you think you want to be part of that process right because he is focused i'm sure i do not have any interact personal interaction with jerry seinfeld but i have heard and i'm only saying this story because it is publicly out there i believe mark norman said it on joe rogan's podcast Mm -hmm. i think it was joe rogan's so you can't get a wider audience than that so this story (laughs) has been heard but that Mark had opened up for Jerry a few mm-hmm. times and one time missed a cue about when he was supposed to get off stage and got off too early, thought Jerry wasn't ready and went back out on stage. And then he got a, got scolded for that, mm-hmm. you know, and it, because it wasn't professional, it wasn't mm-hmm. done in a streamlined, polished manner. Yeah. Not that Mark, you know, it was like, all right. We handle that. It won't happen again. Then we move on and we get to be buddies again. But yeah, in yeah. that moment, it's yeah, it's very much a professional endeavor for mm-hmm. for in this case, Mr. Seinfeld. And so, to be able to have somebody go show him a theater, like, <laughs> let me go show you the room, and it's like, okay, I have Jerry Seinfeld has performed at the best of the best and the worst of the worst. Like he is performing yeah. everything in between. So there is nothing that you're going to show them. It's, and <laughs> yeah. it's still like, it's like having somebody that, you know, he happens to be somebody who owns all these cars, all these Porsches, all these mm-hmm. rare ones. And then co- having him over to your house and go, Hey, let me show you something. Hey, look at this Honda Ascent. You know, and you go, he goes, Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. And it's yeah, like, it doesn't have more of a reaction. That, that was pretty much really what they said that he was just like, Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, like he wasn't, it wasn't that he was cold, but he wasn't like, oh my God, either. Yes. <laughs> and because, I mean, the man's in his 60s. He's mm-hmm. been doing this for, you know, 45 years. Yeah. You know, he's seen it. And <laughs> yeah. there there might be an occasion, like to really wow him with what the theater looks like. It'd have to be in London or something. It, well, it ha- not only London, it'd have to be the best Thing he has ever seen in his life right maybe dubai or something like that <laughs> right. where you just go i can't you made the seats out of cash uh, that's very unusual to see that yeah 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 i don't i don't fault some people with stuff like that like mm-hmm. you know it's sort of like you got to recognize people are human and that they are going through stuff and some people don't like certain attention and as you mentioned earlier some people want that attention but 
A lot of people don't. For sure. I think that some people, some celebrities probably just want to be able to go throughout their day. Right. I had an experience on a train platform. This is, I don't know, several years ago. I don't know how many years ago. And there was an older man walking towards me on the platform, like not, not toward me specifically, but my direction. It was middle of the day and there was like two or three of us on the platform completely. And I had this moment of recognition, but I thought, I was like, who do I, who, where do I know him from? Like more of like friendship type of thing or right. like interaction with at, at a coffee shop or something like that. This guy owned a restaurant or something. <laughs> yeah. Cause he's walking towards me and you know, he's getting closer. And then as he passed me, it dawned on me. That was Patrick Stewart. Oh yeah. And he lives in the neighborhood. Yeah. yeah. And it was like, Oh, that's who that is. <laughs> yeah. It's Jean-Luc Picard. And so we're Professor X. And so we got on the same car together. Mm -hmm. And he had a big old newspaper over his face. <laughs> oh, wow. But he kept peeking over the top of it. And I was like, does he want attention or does he not want attention? It's almost like he's seeing if I know who he is. And it's like, I do, I do know who you are, but it's New York. I'm going to leave you alone. I'm not going to bother you. Yeah. So um, I've heard some celebrities talk about the difference between like LA and New York in terms of the way people treat them. LA, I forget who this was that was talking about this, but it was recently I heard it that LA people will kind of just leave the celebrities alone. And, oh, really? Yeah. Because everybody's in the business kind of thing. Oh, I have heard that, yeah. Um, that it's not a surprise anymore because they see him so much. Yeah, and now I don't know this to be true, but possibly. But then in New York, you get a lot of people that are just living life in New York. And well, so, a lot of tourists, too. A lot of tourists, but they're like talking specifically about the New Yorkers that would be like, like in a Patrick Stewart, hey, Professor X, what's up? Love oh, you. for sure. You know? No, I've heard that sort of story, yeah. too. They yeah. don't go up for pictures. They don't go for autographs. They just like, let them know, yo, you, I know you. Yeah. Or they'll like a cab. You'll be like, that sucks. That show sucks. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. I've heard those stories too. Yeah. Yeah. There is a little bit more of a like, uh, I'm razzing my buddy type of vibe yeah. from certain people here. Yeah. Like but that probably, care. I probably, if I were super famous and someone in passing like that was like, go, oh, I probably wouldn't mind that. Yeah. That'd be kind of cool. But it, to me, the thing that would freak me out are the people who are like crying when they walk up to you. Like people, I saw some awful video of someone doing that to Lin Manuel Miranda, and it was yeah. like in it was like an intermission during a show, and this person is walking up recording. Yeah. It's like, yeah, all right, that's that's rude. <laughs> you don't walk up recording, and then they're also crying. Yeah. So it's like, all right, that's strange for someone to experience. Of course, he was like perfect in the in the exchange, but. Also, like, don't do that ever to anyone. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're either feeding some monster's ego or you're going to ruin a nice person and they're going to be afraid to go out because yeah. people cry when they see them. And I'm sure that, they're, you know, after a while you start to get used to those type of experiences, especially like a Lin-Manuel, is that he created a piece mm -hmm. that has touched people right. in a different way than maybe else in a different thing maybe than the rock did in his latest sure sure yeah it, so recognition is there but there's also of like that watching hamilton and seeing someone like myself and these roles changed my life type of thing mm -hmm. so they're gonna probably 
be used to it. Just a, like maybe a month ago, I was just walking down the street of Brooklyn and me and Abby were walking together and I saw kind of a fairly big dude with another guy walking towards us. And as soon as he passed, I, for some reason, I only recognize people once they passed me. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure that was Batista. Oh, that's hilarious. And I was like, <laughs> I think that was Dave Batista. But, you know, am I, but we just kept going on. But I, there is part of me who wants to be like, I know who you are. Yeah. You didn't get that past me. But he literally <laughs> yeah. did get it past me. <laughs> that, it's funny. The first year or two, I noticed people. Yeah. It was like the first month we moved here is when I met Amy Sedaris. It was yeah. like all these people immediately. But a couple of years in, some friends came in the town and I'd be standing in the subway or walking down the street. And my one friend was like, you see who that was? And I was like, no. <laughs> like, uh, it was uh, Anne Haish and Thomas Jane. I was like, yeah. how did you even see that? I don't even recognize anybody. Unless we make eye contact, apparently. Yeah, yeah. It's, I'm, I'm blanking on this guy's name, but we sat down to dinner next to the, oh, to Russell Simmons. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, yeah. just like literally, you know, the way New York restaurants where this is like years ago before pandemic where mm -hmm. every seat is right, <laughs> right next to it. And so I'm like literally <laughs> sitting six inches from Russell and just pretending. That you didn't see that him. Yeah. That That's what you got to do. Yeah. You got to do that. Yeah, <laughs> that was sort of situation. I saw like Dan Abrams, the newscaster, yeah. on the train, and he looked so—he looked like he was having a bad day. Like you could just physically see that he was having a bad day. It was like I won't say anything. Yeah, so I was standing right in front of him, and I looked over and was like, "I'm gonna act like I didn't just see him because I don't want him to have a worse day." Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> and that's the funny thing is that you know back in Indiana, I worked as a barista. Right, mm -hmm. you know, in college. And so during Christmas time, I was, you know, on Christmas break doing some barista work. And one of the local news sportscasters came up and got a coffee. And I was like, I can't believe it was him. You know? <laughs> and I mean, by the way, we keep going lower and lower in celebrity here. <laughs> so, and he didn't have to walk past me before I knew who he was right, right. immediately. And so it, it does change. It's just, it's the same way that New York is so fast paced when you get here. Mm -hmm. Celebrities mean something different when you first move here, but just time, experience, everything slows the city down. It also slows your emotions down towards these individuals and lets you calm down and realize these are human beings doing work and it mm -hmm. isn't that big of a deal. They are started out in the same places that we all started out. Very few yeah. started out in Hollywood. Right. Yeah. I mean, like you were mentioning a couple of times, like starting out with people who are big now and how like you saw them bombing and, and try, still trying to get there. And I was saying to someone who's in improv about how like they took all these classes with all these people who are famous now. I was like, oh, that must have been amazing. And they're like, no, they're just. They suck like the rest of us did. It was yeah. level one. Yeah. <laughs> like, why would they have been amazing? Like, we're, I was friends with them. We're, you know, in some in some cases, they're still friends. But it's it's a weird because I have a couple of friends who from college who went on to 
gained some some notoriety and I've been around them when their fans were seeing them and kind of like, oh my God. And to me, it's just like, huh? Him? That's just, yeah, that's just him. <laughs> it's like, well, it's no big deal. And you have a little bit of insight to how they got there and the work. <laughs> yeah. You know, some people, when they only see the finished product, when you've only seen right the television show Seinfeld be the number one show of all time, yeah, you don't, you haven't seen the process right. of working out at Catch a Rising Star in mm-hmm. the late 70s and doing the comic strip and performing for six people at 2 a.m. Yeah. All of that, they just see the finished product. Right. And if you have insight to the process, you go, oh, yeah, you know, for example, some of the people that have gotten big on Instagram or TikTok, you go, oh, yeah, that was something that. I saw them putting together or we worked on together yeah. and go, they didn't know it was going to do that. Yeah, they don't. They yeah. Just, we're putting out content, trying to create something and, oh, wow, this thing happened yeah. to blow up. And, yeah. Okay. The, the, <laughs> that's the, that is the bizarre thing about the internet. It's like, you can put something out there. The thing you care the least about out of the work you put yeah. out is the thing that's most likely to get some attention. But when it comes to this, like a stand-up special that you see, I mean, they hone that for so long. And it could be easy watching it, especially as a lay person, to think they just came up with it full cloth. But so many of those jokes they worked on for maybe years. Oh, easily. Easily so yeah. many of those jokes were that way. I mean, they, like I've talked to someone who had a great joke and I was like, oh, this joke you did on Late Late Show was so funny. And if I had thought of it, I could see myself thinking of the premise and then the joke would have ended right after the first punchline but you took it to all these other places and that's like insane i, I don't know how you how you can do that and he said when i started doing that joke it was just like he said yeah <laughs> and that was that was like a couple years ago and then a year later <laughs> after doing the joke the way you said you would do it i added this wrinkle to it because i was fooling around and it opened up another door and then it just developed over an additional year so there's a lot of time like it's it's easy to compare or look at and be like oh i'll never do that it's like well when that joke started they didn't think they would do that either it just took a couple years yeah just like you just keep trying stuff and then it just blossoms as time goes on for sure speaking of blossoming though we want to talk about how you have come to this because you're always whenever i see you whenever I'm passing. You're like, oh, I'm going to do a show. I'm going to do a set. Yeah. You're doing a bunch of bunch of sets. So when you started doing that, because now you've been on, you've had, you've done a lot of stuff on like Sirius and True TV, and you've been to a bunch of comedy clubs here. So what is that process like? We can end the podcast. This will be the creating something together. Yeah. I guess it's like you explaining what that process is like but i'm sure it's different for every comic who's come through here but it seems like it's a relatively similar journey can you explain if someone's moving here what they can expect and what are the things they probably should do to sort of get ahead well if somebody's just moving here you know it it depends too on how they're moving here because Mm -hmm. You know, I started with basically no experience. You know, a year of comedy, open mics before I moved here. There's comics I've known that had years of experience. They were featuring at comedy clubs, or maybe they were just about the headline, or they'd done some TV stuff. 
and then moved to New York. So they had a li- little bit of an advantage there where they could at least go to clubs and say, let me audition for you. Or they might know somebody that is already there mm-hmm. because of working with them on the road or something like that. I had none of that. So if you're moving here, <laughs> basically only having done comedy a few years or less, you're going to have to expect to be at the bottom. Yeah. And at the bottom, somebody's shoe. Mm-hmm. underneath the gum on underneath mm-hmm. the bottom of their shoe and you're gonna have to persevere there's gonna be days and weeks where you just feel awful i am many times there would be times i would just fall face forward into the bed mm-hmm. and just have my pillow you know facing the pillow and just going what am i doing is this really for me am i not supposed to be doing this uh-huh I'm not going anywhere. I don't have any bookings. Nobody wants me. And I'm not funny. Nobody, you know, and it just takes time. And I, this is another, going back to like my comedy theories. Yeah. I will eventually have to create like a, <laughs> Actually a, a master it. class on this here. Well, you have a book, don't you? I don't have a book. What you, no, you have a special that you. I have a special. Yeah, books. Well, that would be difficult for <laughs> me. I haven't got that part of the comedian package yet. But, but that could be your first book. It yeah. would be. All these theories about comedy is I have the, the confidence tank. Uh-huh. And we each have a, a tank in us that, just like a hot water tank, has to be filled and it gets depleted. And all of the things that you do, you know, killing an open mic for your first time mm-hmm. or bombing and having nobody talk to you, those raise or lower the confidence level inside of you mm-hmm. and so my suggestion when you first are getting into comedy do everything whether it lowers or, or raises the the tank mm. a few years in maybe you're four years in maybe you're five years in you need to start cutting out the things that lower the confidence. okay because there was a point where i just said i'm not doing those type of open mics anymore yeah you know, maybe that was four years in or something like that because i feel awful lot. Mm-hmm. I, all the other comics are walking out of me when I go up on stage. They're just walking out. Or there's like an only comics room, and they're, yeah. they're only buried in their notes and only in their notes to their friends. Those yeah. are the mics that killed my wanting to bother to yes. stand up here. Yeah, and that's it. And so what I I made a conscious choice to go. You know what I'm going to do? I'm only going to do shows. I'm all, you know, free shows, bar shows. Mm-hmm. I'm only going to do, if it's a mic, it has to be a mixed mic where there's music, poetry, and comedy because then I know they're listening mm-hmm. and we're, we're sh- I'm a ca- palate cleanser to that instead of just more noise. And I created my own show with Abby. We did a coffee shop show for years. Mm-hmm. And those types of things help raise the confidence. And Every time you do something new in comedy that goes well or doesn't go well, but even just getting a booking of, hey, I got my first road gig or I've got, you know, I'm working with this booker. I'm getting a hundred bucks for tonight. Whatever it is, that helps raise that confidence tank. And so, you know, I'm now at a point many years in where it's like, it takes a lot to lower the confidence, Mm -hmm. like to the point that my face will be in a pillow. Yeah. It, It would take a lot, like a lot would have to go wrong now because- I go and I kill at places. Mm-hmm. And you that, have a great rhythm. Yeah, and it's, but that takes time. Yeah, you know, it takes, takes time to time. like, yeah. You, that's one of the things when I moved here and I, I just started seeing a lot of these 
comics, not all of them have been on Conan or whatever, but I had seen some of them, and then there are people who were their peers, and I just thought, I saw the rhythm so much. I was like, oh, I get it now. And then when I finally saw you perform, where I think it was even just a video online, I was like, ah, he's got that rhythm. He's, you know, like, how did someone get that? But it's just like time, like it's you said, trying a bunch of stuff. Time. And that's the thing. You know, I've talked to so many young comics over the years. Mm -hmm. And this is the thing that you, the person has to internalize any advice and decide for themselves. And, and a lot of times know. go through it. Mm -hmm. because there's been so many comics. I remember talking to one young comic that had just moved to, from Indiana to, to New York. He wanted to take Abby and I out to dinner so that he could pick our brain. Mm -hmm. Well, he didn't want to really pick our brains. He thought that's what he wanted, but what he wanted to hear was, hey, have, after talking to you for five minutes, you seem amazingly funny. You should come open up for us on the road. Oh, yeah. You should... You should have the things that we have that have taken uh, years, years, and years and years and years to get. You should have them right now because of this one conversation uh -huh. or a po' boy. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, saying things like, you know, hey, it takes years. You know, most of the people you see on TV or in these videos that are really funny, they're 10, 15, 20, 25 years into comedy or more. Yeah. And so you're just starting out. So you, you're not. You have to almost take off your plate that I need to be famous or I'm going to be famous in a couple of years. Yeah. You can't put a time frame to it because no. who knows, you know, like it, it's all that stuff is why. Like yes. You just want to be able to be good at it and be able to eventually make some money at it. But, you know, it is just not something you can. Not everyone's Brendan Walsh no. a month into stand up and, you know, Doug Stanhope takes them on. Yeah. And that, that's almost never. It's kind of right. Like, and, and, and this young comic said to us, well, Bo Burnham did it. And right then, as soon as I heard that, I, I shut off with him. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, you're not here to listen. You're here to be praised. And I can't do that because I don't even know you and I haven't seen you perform. Right. But also when I do and when I did, yeah, you sound like somebody who's been doing comedy for two years. You mm -hmm. don't sound like an amazing genius that i've never seen before right you sound like exactly what i expect you to sound like and that's not a bad thing but also what how can you <laughs> there's a guy who came to a stand-up show when i was still in south carolina and we saw him and he did one set and uh it was like one of his first times ever doing stand-up and he was like ah you know was it good you know should i should i like do this should, should i do comedy like was it decent it's like I don't know. We watched you for five minutes one time. Like, I don't know what's going to happen with your life or with your career. And I like, can't know. It'd be one thing if it was someone uh, like, I guess what's kind of ruined it to a certain degree are the things like star search or whatever. Yeah. Where there's, by the way, this podcast is taking place in, in 1988. 1988. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like star search now it's America's got talent, right? Yeah. People will go on there and you've never heard of them and they'll kill and you'll think like, Oh, I want to do comedy. And they'll, they wrongly assume that that person's new to comedy. Well, last comic standing was a big one on that where they tried to make it look like everybody was brand new, walked <laughs> off the street. They found them in line. <laughs> right. And that wasn't the reality of it at all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know, it was like Roy Wood Jr. And, and like Gary Goldman, as we mentioned, and so many people who had been doing it for, a long time 
And, you know, even if you're a middler, you're like, you've been at it for a while. Yeah. And you've been with headliners and you've learned a lot. And it's not your first time. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not the first five minutes. I don't know. People just will see stuff on TV and they'll think, well, I saw this five minutes and you could tell that they had it. So can you see that I have it when I just did this five minutes? It's like it's a total different kind of five minutes yeah. that we just saw. <laughs> You're comparing two different things. Yeah, it's very different. And and that's the thing about comedy in general is that you can always find an example of somebody. But there's luck that goes into right. it. It's a person's mood. Mm -hmm. You know, Eddie Murphy discovered Chris Rock. Mm -hmm. Well, how that even came about was Eddie Murphy popped into a club. Mm -hmm. You know, the comic strip, I believe, where Chris Rock was just hanging out at as a young comic. Yeah. And Eddie said, are there any other black comedians here tonight? Because I want to see some black comedians mm -hmm. performing. And Chris Rock was the only one even in the building. Wow. And so Chris Rock goes up and he performs for Eddie. And then because, you know, Eddie's discovering and starts doing stuff. Mm -hmm. That's luck. If Chris had been sick that day, who knows what would have happened with Chris Rock. It might have been, you know, another 10 years before he's making a dent. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. just the luck part of it. Right. And so you can't go in planning retirement on a lottery ticket. Right. You have to do work. You have to work hard. You have to persevere. Mm -hmm. You have to fill your confidence tank. You really have to put in the effort and the time. Right. And... It doesn't matter who you are, even like, because like Rory Scovel, that's someone that every comic is like, well, he's an anomaly. But even he, I think, I feel like I heard a story with him where his first time he killed, but then he didn't for a long time. Yeah. Like even Rory Scovel had to go through that time period of just getting better. I did bar shows with him years ago. Mm -hmm. So it's like, Everybody, you know, the only person I've ever heard say they never bombed was Sinbad. And I believe it because the dude is yeah. a, he has a different it's energy just, and yeah, force. For sure. But that's the only person I've ever heard say that. Mm -hmm. And that's tippy top of the abilities of comedy. And still somebody else might like somebody better than him. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I think he's one of the greatest. He's one yeah. of the favorites. And somebody else could go like, Sinbad, oh, your favorite. It's like, yeah, because they don't even care. They don't know. For sure, so, yeah. Yeah, speaking of Star Search, Sinbad won on Star Search. He did. He beat Ellen, Dennis Miller. Alan DeGeneres. Yeah, I mean, like, and those are people who've probably been doing it for a while. All three of them have probably been doing comedy yeah. for a while. <laughs> but everyone thinks, like, hey, this new, fresh person. Like, yeah. yeah, but they're a veteran in yes. years. <laughs> yeah, nobody even walked off the street and did this. Nobody. <laughs> right. Nobody even... Even the people you think got it immediately. It's like nobody yeah. walked off the street and this was their list on. That was, I think it's a great show with great actors. Marvelous Mrs. Maisel lies to you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> great show, great actors. That is not a, it's not a real story except for Roseanne. Yeah. And even she had her ups and downs. Roseanne <laughs> did the road for years. Like that's the thing. It's like all of this stuff. It's like these, we want to, believe this fictionalized version of something yeah yeah it's mythical because i think for the general public they can't really process everything that goes into it you mm -hmm. know like van gogh i believe is the thing 
currently like the most expensive art you can get. Mm-hmm. The, I don't think the man sold like a painting in his life. <laughs> yeah. There is a story like that of one of those artists that we all know. Yeah. Yeah. So, and had mental illness and mm-hmm. struggled and never got And now his paintings are some of, if not the most expensive in the entire world. Mm-hmm. And it's like, look, it's random sometimes and there's luck yeah. and there is, you know, you just work and do what you can that's in front of you. Yeah. Be the best you can at what is in front of you right now rather than the thing that you think you want 10 or 20 steps down the line. That's good advice for people who want to be on SNL or want to have a big stand-up career. It's like, what do you need to be doing right now? And just try to be really, really good at that. Yeah. Because that's what's going to get you to the next thing. Yeah. That you also need to just focus on that and be really good at. Yeah. And that's how I got to where even I am. Mm-hmm. is trying to be the best I possibly could be at the thing I'm at now and then leveling up exactly with, with my own skill and where I'm at. Yeah. Well, you've got a comedy special coming this year. I've got a dry bar comedy special that should be released this year. Okay. And I've got an album that is already out, Hopes mm-hmm. and Dreams. And you've got the podcast. i got a podcast. The kids in school that you the, and Abby do. That is right. Yeah, people can find that wherever. It's, they get the it, it's not necessarily all about parenting. It's almost none about parenting. <laughs> really, it's, all it is is that because our daughter is in school, we now have something. time to talk about things, you know? And anybody that has kids know, like, when they're around, it just becomes dominated by that conversation and what you can and cannot say. You know, it's not, it's silly talk. We are able to be silly with each other the way we were before we had kids. <laughs> well, it's a great outlet. I'm glad you yeah. have. People should have checked that out. They have that everywhere. That's available everywhere. Yep. In fact, if you just go to thekidisinschool.com, you can click on whatever, whatever your you podcast okay. preference is. But if you do iTunes, it's on there. You just type in the kid is in school. You'll see my picture. You'll see Abby's picture. So you hitting the road anytime soon? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be in Indiana in a couple weeks, and I will be in. That's the things are always popping up, but I've got. I'll be in Boston. In fact, that's with Abby. The love is a joke tour. There's some comedy couples. We do some touring there. We'll be in Boston, I believe. That's February 18th. Uh, but there's always some. So comedianluke.com or all social media platforms is comedianluke. You'll see about upcoming dates, or maybe I'm coming to New York, or if you want to request me in your area as well. Awesome. Well, thanks for being on the podcast, Luke. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It was great finally having him on the podcast. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And as he mentioned, you can go to comedianluke.com to find him and also at comedianluke on all social media. And we have a link to his website in the bio. So go check that out. And also, don't forget, we have a show this Saturday. I say we, I mean my improv team, Glitter, has a show this Saturday at the Steel Stacks Improv Comedy Festival. So please come check that out if you're in the Bethlehem, Pennsylvania area. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at There It Is Pod. Follow me on Twitter at Jason Far Jokes and Instagram at Jason Far Picks. And go to thereitispod.com for newsletter and support info and subscribe to our comedy lifestyle newsletter. It's free. Until next time, be good to each other.
The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr.